Chapter 9 of Rufus and Rose, or The Fortunes of Rough and Ready. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 9 At the End of Three Months Rufus soon became accustomed to his new boarding house and came to like it. It gratified his pride to perceive that he was regarded as an equal by his fellow boarders, and that his little sister Rose was a general favorite. It seemed almost a dream, and a very disagreeable one, the life they had formerly lived in the miserable tenement house in Leonard Street. But still, the remembrance of that time heightened his enjoyment of his present comforts and even luxuries. He usually spent the evening in Miss Manning's room, and feeling the deficiencies in his education, commenced a course of study and reading. He subscribed to the Mercantile Library, and thus obtained all the books he wanted at a very moderate rate. By way of showing how they lived at this time, I will introduce the reader to Miss Manning's room one evening, about three months after Rufus had begun to board in the house. Miss Manning was seated at the table sewing. Her young pupils were gone to bed, and she had the evening to herself. Rufus was reading Abbott's Life of Napoleon, which he found very interesting. Little Rose had fallen asleep on the sofa. "'What are you sewing upon, Miss Manning?' asked Rufus, looking up from his book. "'I am making a dress for Rose. "'When you get tired, just let me know, and I will sew a little for you.' "'Thank you, Rufus,' said Miss Manning, smiling. "'But I suppose it won't hurt your feelings much if I doubt your abilities as a seamstress.' "'I am afraid I shouldn't make a very good living at that, Miss Manning. "'Times have changed a little since you used to sew from morning till night.' Yes, they have. I used to see some hard times, Rufus. But everything has changed since I got acquainted with you and little Rose. I sometimes am tempted to regard you as my good angel. Thank you. I don't know much about angels, but I'm afraid I don't look much like one. They never have red cheeks and do business in Wall Street, do they? From what I have heard, I don't believe Wall Street is a favorite resort with them. But, seriously, everything seems to have prospered since I met you. Really. I am beginning to be a capitalist. How much money do you think that I have saved up of the three dollars a week which you pay me? You've bought some nice things for yourself and Rose, haven't you? Yes, we each have had a dress and some little things. Then I don't see how you could have saved up much. I made the dresses myself, and that was a great saving. Let me see. You've paid me forty-two dollars in all for fourteen weeks? I will see how much I have left. She went to the bureau and took out her pocketbook. I have twenty-five dollars, she said, counting the contents. Am I not growing rich? Perhaps you'd like to speculate with it in Wall Street, suggested Rufus. I think I'd better keep the money, or put it in a savings bank. When you have money enough, I can buy you a fifty-dollar government bond. I shall have to wait a while first. Well, as for me, said Rufus, I can't tell exactly how I do stand. I took fifty dollars out of that five hundred I had in the savings bank. I think I've got about half of it left. The rest of it went for a trunk, car fare, and other expenses. So you see, I've been going downhill while you've been climbing up. Have you drawn anything from your store yet, Rufus? You were to draw $50 a quarter, I believe. Yes, and that reminds me that George Black promised to call this evening and pay the money. It's about time to expect him. Rufus had hardly spoken when a servant knocked at the door. Rufus opened it. There's a young man downstairs that would like to see you, Mr. Rushton, she said. 
Where is he, Nancy? In the parlor. I'll go right down. I think it must be Black, he said, turning to Miss Manning. If it is, of course you will bring him up. Yes, I should like to. We can't talk very well in such a public place. Rufus went down and shortly reappeared with George Black. Good evening, Mr. Black, said Miss Manning. Take a seat. Hope you're well. I'm thriving, said Black. How pleasant and cheerful you look. Yes, the room is rather high up, but it is pleasant when you get to it. We were just speaking of you when the girl came to let us know that you were here. I hope you said nothing very bad about me. Not very. I think I shall be welcome as I have brought you some money. Money is always welcome here, said Rufus. I'll take care of all you can bring. I have brought fifty dollars according to our agreement. Can you spare that amount without affecting the business? Oh, yes. I suppose you can't tell me what the profits have been for the last three months. Not exactly, but I have made a rough calculation. As it was the first quarter, I knew you would like to know. Well, what is your estimate? As well as I can judge, we have cleared about $250. That is at the rate of $1,000 a year. Yes, isn't that doing well? Capitally. Do you think the business will hold out at that rate? I feel sure of it. I hope to improve upon it. Even if you don't, that will give you nearly $700 a year and me over 300 That's better than clerking. For me, I mean. Perhaps you might get more as a clerk. Perhaps I might. But now I am my own master, and then I shouldn't be. Besides, I have plans in view which I will increase our custom and, of course, our profits also. Success to the firm of Rushton and Black, said Miss Manning, smiling. Thank you, said Rufus. I like that sentiment. And I'd drink to it if I saw anything to drink. Have you got any champagne in the closet, Miss Manning? All that I ever had there, Rufus. If a glass of water will do as well, I can give you that. At this moment, a knock was heard at the door. Miss Manning rose and opened it. The visitor proved to be Mrs. Clifton, of whom mention has already been made. Good evening, Mrs. Clifton, said the governess. Come in. Thank you, but I didn't know you had company. Don't stand on ceremony, Mrs. Clifton, said Rufus. My friend, Mr. Black, is perfectly harmless, I assure you. He is neither a bull nor a bear. What spirits you have, Mr. Rushton? No spirits at all, Mrs. Clifton. Miss Manning has just been offering us some water as a substitute. You are so lively, Mr. Rushton. You remind me so much of my friend, Mr. Hunter. I suppose he was one of your admirers before you became Mrs. Clifton. Really, Mr. Rushton, you mustn't say such things. Mr. Hunter and I were very intimate friends, but nothing more, I assure you. Is Mr. Clifton well? asked Miss Manning. He hasn't got home from the store. You know the dry goods stores always keep open late. Really, I might as well have no husband at all. It is so late when Mr. Clifton gets home, and then he is so sleepy that he can't keep his eyes open. It was generally believed that Mr. and Mrs. Clifton did not live together as happily as they might have done, a fact that will not at all surprise those who are familiar with their history before their marriage, which was quite a business arrangement. Mrs. Clifton married because she did not want to be an old maid, and Mr. Clifton because he knew his prospective wife had money, by means of which he could establish himself in business. Are you in business in Wall Street, Mr. Black? inquired Mrs. Clifton. No, I keep a store on 6th Avenue. Indeed! My husband keeps a dry goods store on 8th Avenue. Mine is a periodical and fancy goods store. Mr. Rushton is my partner here. 
Indeed, Mr. Rushton, I am surprised to hear that. You have not left Wall Street, have you? No, I have only invested a portion of my extensive capital. My friend Black carries on the business. Thus far, Rufus had said nothing in the house about his connection with the Sixth Avenue store, but now that it was no longer an experiment, he felt that there was no objection to doing so. Mrs. Clifton, who liked to retail news, took care to make it known in the house, and the impression became general that Rufus was a young man of property. Mr. Pratt, who was an elderly man, rather had given to prosy dissertations upon public affairs, got into the habit of asking our hero's opinion on the financial policy of the government, to which, when expressed, he used to listen with his head a little on one side, as though the words were those of an oracle. This embarrassed Rufus a little at first, but as during the day he was in a situation to hear considerable in reference to this subject, he was generally able to answer in a way that was regarded as satisfactory. That young man, remarked Mr. Pratt to his wife in private, has got a head upon his shoulders. He knows what's what. Depend upon it. If he lives long enough, he will become a prominent man. I can't judge of that, said good-natured Mrs. Pratt, but he's a very agreeable young man, I am sure, and his sister is a little darling. End of chapter 9 Recording by Valentina Vicelli